0: At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point, it's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. And if you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith, grounded in reality, and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. This is not a zone for spiritual escapism, Sunday school answers, or Christianese. We're here to call out religious BS and look for better ways forward. If you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of
1: sarcasm
0: and also a little bit of this, then you found the right place. Welcome home. On today's show, we will be talking today about Christian charities. That's right. Christian charities. This is actually a, a topic that was requested a while back from some listeners and hey, Mike and Jacqueline, I did it. It's a few months late, better late than never. So we're going to be descending into Christian charities. And really, the question that was asked to me was about how do you evaluate where you put your money when you were donating? So we're going to be talking about that. Now, before we hop into the snark, there's just a quick few bits of housekeeping here. This broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at www.snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube. We're there and we're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. And if you like the show, make sure to subscribe. And if you're feeling particularly generous, drop a review over on iTunes too. And it helps to get the word out to our new listeners, and I'd appreciate it. And if you want to interact more with the show, you can find the Snarky Faith page on Facebook. Drop me a line at questions at snarkyfaith.com, and there's even a Snarky Faith hotline if you want to leave a message that will probably end up on the air. The number is 919-525-1570. 919-525-1570. So as we begin the show today, I'm going to start with a little moment of silence. going to have a little R.I.P. rest in peace to Samuel Powers. Anyone remember Samuel Powers, a.k.a. Screech, a.k.a. his real name, Dustin Diamond? I mention it because Screech was a part of my childhood, and we shall mourn his loss with a moment of silence. No snark, just silence. You shall be missed, Screech. So before we set the stage for our main entree of conversations this hour, we've got to dive deep into the appetizers. Come on, we gotta get we we've gotta we've gotta set the table. We've gotta prepare the groundwork for what we're gonna be talking about because we're I'm going to at least <laughs> attempt to build on what we're talking about in our special edition today of The Christian Crazy entitled, That's Not How It Works Edition.
2: That's not how any of this works.
3: Claude
0: Hammers, the Lord is my shepherd. he knows know what I want. Speaking about the Christian crazy, which is our top choice, grade A selected cuts of the craziest of Christianity of the past week. And what we're going to be talking about today, as I had already had prefaced, is the that's not how it works edition. What we're going to be going through is kind of highlighting, hmm, I would call them flaws in logic about how the Bible and Christianity works, hmm, especially, especially because we've still got a lot of American Christianity still stuck, still stuck in the past, still stuck on their old orange Messiah. I know. I know he's going to be hard to get over for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. First, I mean, what is it? Like, come on. People always say it's it's really, really hard for you to get over your first authoritarian. It's it's kind of a fascist crush that is the one you'll always remember your entire life. And for a lot of these Christians, Trump was there first. He, he popped their dictatorial cherries, so to speak, and people are not doing well because of it. Case in point, religious right pastor, Larry Tomczak. Larry's gonna lay out a prayer that he believes it needs to be prayer for such a time as this, right
1: now. There's some dark times ahead and the church must arise. We must be salt, we must be light. And so we must pray and we must pray correctly. In the Psalms, you see, they would pray, what? That God would bring down evil and and those that were promoting evil and expose schemes. And that's what we have to pray along those lines and say, God, I ask you to raise up righteous leaders. And yes, and with a compassionate heart, remove them, but never stand and say to your people, if you're a leader, it's time, let's stand and let's all agree in prayer for blessing and favor upon this new administration. We can't. We cannot promote that which is ungodly.
0: So let's go ahead and lay out what uh, good old Lair Bear is doing here for us. So it's a dark time, folks, and Larry's giving his best teachings to the church. Church, we're supposed to pray against evil. Now is the time to pray against evil. Before? No, 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 no. It, I mean, we were cool with that evil, or eh, the evil didn't bother us, or which is kind of like, stop it, evil, stop but now we need to pray against evil because you would hope like like logically speaking let's just run with this in our heads for just a little minute folks you would kind of hope that this isn't groundbreaking that a pastor and his flock should realize that hey we should pray for good stuff and evil stuff is bad You know, that kind of how it works. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, because Larry, that's how it's supposed to work. If you're raising up this idea right now that, oh, we need prayer only against people we don't like. Ah, I kind of see what you're doing there, Larry. And even the idea that whatever happened to Romans 13, huh? Aren't we supposed to like pray for our officials? Oh, but not this one, but not this one but not this one so you're getting an idea you're getting an idea what we're going after here in our little special edition of the christian crazy this week because larry that's not how it works you don't just choose to pray for who only you want to you're supposed to be praying for the goodness of all humanity you're supposed to be praying for the goodness of all people not just for people you like and against people you don't like because <laughs> that would just make you a selfish asshole. Oh, you are a pastor. All right, never mind. That checks out. So since we're already on the topic of clueless tools that are selling a version of Christianity that I'm going to go ahead and call is really kind of just about lining their own pocketbooks, we might as well hop over to Gordon Klingenschmitt. Because Gordon, Gordon's going to give us a little bit of a lesson about reality and God's will right now. What's
3: happening? I do believe God wanted... Donald Trump to be reelected. I think it was God's will. And yet sometimes in this fe- fallen world, the devil wins. And God's will is not, God's perfect will is not always done on earth. So
0: Gordon, are you saying that God had a hard time getting it up? Like God was impotent? That God wanted Donnie Don, the Orange Con, but somehow God couldn't? God couldn't make it happen, even though He wanted it with all of His heart. Oh no, I thought He was—I thought He was all powerful. Ah! But hey, Gordon, since I have you on the line, give us a snapshot in your own crazy worldview about the only things that matter to Christians right now.
3: I think uh, it's an abomination now that someone with the demonic spirit of, for example, transgenderism, uh, Joe Biden is now promoting. Boys going into girls' locker rooms in public school. He is promoting abortion on demand with taxpayer funding to kill innocent children. He is going to harm Israel and their unique calling in the world. That is the devil's will, who is ruling in the White House right now.
0: If only God was powerful. If only God was the God that you guys like to push on everyone that is angry, full of wrath, and ready to rumble. But he's not. What What adds up here? But at least, at least it's a great way for us to be able to see a lot of American Christianity's values here. Gordon kind of laid them out here. Why is everything evil right now? Well, okay, because we're worried about boys in locker rooms. Uh, we're worried about abortions on demand, which doesn't exist. And we're also worried, terrifically worried about israel and their unique calling in the world you don't even know why you don't even know why you think israel matters you want to say the bible because god says israel in the bible and even though it's not really the same israel that we're talking about from the bible and we're just really you're talking about the nation state of israel which happens just to be a geopolitical country that has its own geopolitical borders that were established in the late 1940s still not the bible not the Bible at all, not the Bible at all, at all, at all, at all. But it's good that you kind of have the talking points here in Israel and its unique place and mission in the world. That's unique and special. And hmm, it's kind of like cousin Larry. We don't know why he's around, but you know, we kind of love him. That's kind of how American Christianity deals with Israel these days. Yep. 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 And also let me go ahead and lay this out here. It is not like, and I've been accused of this because Hey, it was no secret that I was no fan of Donald John Trump. I was not. I thought he was a terrible leader on so many levels. And yes, he's just a man. Yes, he's just a president. But one of the reasons I like to bang this drum a little bit is because of the, hmm, the, intense, the intense damage that he and evangelical Christianity have done to the voice of Christianity over the past four, five, six years. They've already been doing a pretty good job of mucking up, but this kind of elevated and escalated everything. So before you go and think that I'm saying, oh, Biden's my choice. He's my messiah. No, Biden's an old dude that was not my first choice, but you know what? He's better than our old narcissist in chief. I will give him that. And do I have hope that somehow everything's going to happen and come up rosy? No, this is government. We somehow didn't like transport ourselves magically from 2021. We know the government in America is inefficient. I just don't like it when we try to govern saying that God is on our side because that's a load of crap. America's America. It's a bunch of selfish people trying to do what selfish people do. Manifest destiny and all that yada, yada, yada stuff, right? The rest of us, we're just trying to make it by. But ultimately, I would like to just finish up with Gordon by saying, Hey, Gordon. That's not how Christianity works. Christianity isn't just about worrying about boys in locker rooms. They're not just worried about on-demand abortions. No. Actually, it has to do a lot about loving people. And most of the agenda that you were laying out was really about worrying about people. It was about being distrustful of people. It wasn't anything about worrying at all. It was really about trying to control people and having your own way. Oh, wait. American Christianity? I forgot again. That's what it's all about. Sorry, my bad, my bad. Next up with the that's not how it works version of the Christian crazy. (laughs) Let's go to Rick Wiles. Rick, Rick Wiles, the voice, the damn handsome man that uh, is behind True News, TRU News, which also has White House Press credentials. Yeah, hopefully for not too much longer, but we'll see. Uh, Yeah. Rick is mad. This is, you know, I I think Rick is is, is doing the thing that a lot of Christian leaders may say, but don't want to say publicly. Kind of the, hey, why aren't you coming to my church? You're bad if you're not. We'll see this. This is on a broadcast, which is always kind of fun, when Rick just lets it rip. And Rick, this is not really how it's done on TV, but
3: it's your show. Those of you who are turning this off because I'm talking about Jesus, God will turn you off someday. Yes. Do you understand that? He will he will turn you off someday.
0: So wait, God can turn us on? God can turn us off? Is that wait, wait. Is that the problem? Is that the problem that Gordon was talking about? Right? Where God couldn't get it up and do the thing. Because maybe God wasn't turned on by the prospect of that. He can turn us on. He can turn us off. I don't even really know what Rick's getting at here. But Rick is not happy because somehow people aren't watching the show. And uh uh-oh! Rick's going to make it very Christian. He's going to make it all about himself. I mean Jesus. I mean himself. He's crying.
3: Almighty God is using this program to cry out to you for the salvation of your souls. How dare you just say, I'm going to, I'm going to turn it off. I don't want to hear it.
0: All right. You've heard it first. You've heard it first, snarky face listeners. I am going to start. I have an investment opportunity for all of you. It's going to sound like a very televangelist thing, trying to keep it in the mode of where we're at. Uh, I think we should start an app that will shame us. I mean, I mean, when I say shame I mean, like, in a holy way, shame meaning that, like, we'll say God is shaming you. And where essentially when you're either on your phone or Apple TV or you're watching TV, it's that we can run this app that really tells us what God wants you to be watching and what God will be angry at you for not watching. That kind of a thing, too, right? Like we say, like, it's like God splits. Oh wait, there's already pure flicks. I don't know, but something, come on. We gotta be able to shame people into what they watch and what they don't watch. I'm pretty sure that's in Deuteronomy about God being happy about which news we watch and that it needs to be true news. I'm so sorry, Rick. We're all letting you down, buddy. (laughs) But that's not how TV works. It's not really even how God works. You know what else doesn't work the way we just want it to, because that's the way we just want it to be. It's kind of reality. I mean, I'm sorry. I know last week we had her on the show. Cat care, the weird little prophetess with the red hair. That's natural, natural, natural red hair from the spirit realm. Mm -hmm. So cat care She's been mad that people have been calling her out for being dead wrong about a lot of prophecies, a lot of prophecies. Now, if you were like, if yelling and screaming were were a, an indicator of how true it is, cat would she'd be right on. She would be right in the meow zone of whatever God has for her. But that's not how reality works, cat. We can't just say how we think it should be, and say that's how it should be. Case in point, let's talk about Kat being wrong about her prophecy, but no, she's not wrong because she's so right. You're just not seeing it. You just don't have enough faith. You just haven't bludgeoned your eyeballs out with melon ballers yet. That's why you can't see it. It's so obvious. That's not how things work cat that's how fairy tales work but go ahead and spin your yarn. first
2: thing i saw was the uh, the media and the news of today god said they will be forced which means they won't want to say it or do it they will be forced to announce
3: that's right that
2: because of the proof and the evidence uh that they have to announce that donald j trump won the election and that he will be president for four more years. And they had to say that, Now this is something that will happen. It will actually happen. And then I was taken forward, and I saw people, when that announcement was made, I literally saw people all over America running out of their homes, running out of buildings, leaving their food on the table in the restaurant. They were running out everywhere shouting and celebrating. They were grabbing each other. Nobody cared who anybody was. They weren't social distancing, and they won't wear masks. Uh All right. It was the greatest celebration and excitement they probably had ever experienced in their lifetime. So wonderful. The most amazing experience
0: in some people's entire lifetime is Running out and not wearing a mask and not social distancing like really these I worry about these people where this is the this is the the pinnacle, this is the peak of it all they They have risen to the summit of greatness in their life, and it involves dancing and not wearing a mask and not social distancing, all oh, right, right, but she's saying because somehow that God is telling her that everyone will have to. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Donald Trump is Lord. I mean, I mean, president for a second term. That's what, that's what she's saying here. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. That's not how it works. That's not how it works, cat. You don't just get to make it up and then say it. So, I mean, that's, that is an awesome wet dream of yours. That is an awesome prophetess's fantasy, but come on. Come on, leave that in the fan fiction. Leave that in, like, the profit fan fiction sessions uh, se- <laughs> sections of, of Reddit. Because if there's not one, there probably should be. And I'm not telling any of you to go and start it now. But a profit fan fiction section could be quite spicy. Quite spicy. Mmm. So spicy. So the last idiot that I want to talk here in our section of that's not how it works. We're going to talk about bad theology and that's not how the Bible works. And we're going to kick this off with Lance Wallenow, who is no stranger to verbal diarrhea and possession of the mouth to say ridiculous things. Lance is going to kind of give us a silver lining on really what's happening now. And this is one of the things I, oh, I, I, I love so much. Oh, wait, no. I mean, I absolutely hate when we try to make biblical parallels to things that have no biblical parallels. And because we can somehow make biblical parallels with them, it makes people sound so much more like theologically grounded. Like, oh, this situation we're dealing with right now is exactly like what is happening to Nimrod back in the book of Ecclesiations and the book of Laman burbs i don't know but what i'm trying to say is is that yes i understand my books of the bible but it is just nonsense but it's good it's good because i really what we're equipping you here to do is to be able to listen to scripture and listen to crazy people and begin to say wait a second that's not what happened in scripture that's what not that's not about what but, you know, that doesn't stop good old Lancey. And, 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 this is building on where we're going.
1: Finished with America, and God isn't even finished with Donald Trump. I think people think he's out of office, he, you know, new president. But what if God has an anointing on Donald Trump to be Cyrus, and there's an illegal counterfeit in office? We're going to have to acknowledge the counterfeit, because that's what we got to do. And this is going to drive people crazy. But I'm going to say that we're almost in the time when Israel was divided, between rehoboam rehoboam and jeroboam and jeroboam went to the north and he created his own counterfeit religious religion to mirror the real thing this is what the democrats are doing
0: first of all here's where we go wrong here Lancey, lance you can't you can't you can't do this i mean you can but it's it's illogical you can't call trump a cyrus like, like connect him to one point in history and then say that we're in the so same same situation that's going on with Israel, which was actually before Cyrus. So, so he's actually trying to talk about the time uh, when the, the kingdom of Israel was broken into two separate kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, right? right? So what Lancy Boy is doing here He's trying to make a connection here to where they're saying is, oh, there was one government and another government. It was a time where Israel was divided. One was good, one was bad. Obviously, this is exactly who where we are at. And Donald Trump is our Cyrus. Okay, first of all, Cyrus. Cyrus doesn't happen several hundred years after this. Because remember, Cyrus is also part of Israel getting captured by Babylon. So... You can't, like, that's not how, that, that's not, you've broken your metaphor, you have over-analogized your analogy, that doesn't, you can't mix all of these, you can't mix these metaphors, it doesn't work that way, that's not how scripture works, I mean, it is, if you're speaking to an audience that wants to believe what they want to believe, but in reality, in good theology and in scripture reading, none of this makes any sense. But I'll sure go ahead and let you finish.
1: It's the woke politics of intersectionality and race and transgenderism. Meanwhile, the kingdom is divided because the real anointing is on, still on Donald Trump. And God, as far as I'm concerned, hasn't released him from being a wrecking ball. So if you remove him by illegal means, you can have the position, but you don't have an anointing for that. That's why America is vulnerable right now.
0: Ah, so really, why the hell do we even do this whole like electoral college thing, this whole democracy thing? All of this, it doesn't matter one crap, because really all that matters is who has the anointing. Because God gives the anointing, and only a few, a chosen few, were able to say, who has it? And even these few may argue from time to time, or most of the time, about who has the anointing, who doesn't have the anointing, who can give the anointing, who can speak about the anointing, who can prophesy about the anointing, and that kind of stuff. Because, yeah, this is just chaos. So essentially, the real anointing is in the kingdom of Mar-a-Lago? Is that what we're getting after here? Because God... Donald Trump is still meant to be a wrecking ball, a.k.a. Miley Cyrus. I really don't want to put that mental picture of Donald Trump on a wrecking ball like Miley Cyrus, but you should because it's that delicious what he's saying right now. Yes, that's not how it works. That's not how scripture works. That's not how reading scripture works, Lance. You said people are going to be crazy about, about you saying these things. Really, it's just, what? That doesn't even make sense. That doesn't even make sense. I'm honestly not just trying to be snarky and mocking this year. I'm actually just trying to use logic. And I would hope that people, when they approach scripture and when they approach different pastors out there, they would simply just use logic to when they're listening to how people are, are packaging scripture. Because we've gone too far off the rails, being able to trust in a lot of what pastors say. And we have followed that. American Christianity for too long has followed after pastors that don't deserve a platform. Uh, pastors that don't read scripture well, that, that read scripture with a, an agenda to frame reality in a way that makes them feel very comfortable and happy. Now, as we begin to hop into this, and I know you don't think still, you may not think yet that we're really ready to talk about charities. But, but I think that we have to get onto this before we talk to charities because before we even talk about charities, especially Christian charities, we have to talk about integrity. And, and scriptural integrity is something that should be very important to people. You want to be able to read scripture accurately. You want to be able to read it through in a way that, that gives you what you need to know, that, that doesn't put words in scripture's mouth, that scripture's not trying to say. And we want to be able to read and wrestle through scripture. And you notice I said here, read, read and wrestle, wrestle through scripture in a way that leaves our hands very open to God, that we hold scripture. We hold what we understand, but we also leave it open to new interpretations. This would be a process of of contemplation, um, a process of of looking inward for perspective, um, also of of prayer and petition. So this is a very, very different posture of going and looking for easy answers to tell us that whatever we're doing is right. Scripture is meant to challenge us and meant to change us. It's meant to teach us to love others in a unique and deep way. Scripture is not here to give us reasons to throw stones and to name call. And I bring up name calling very, very specifically. And it's really interesting that everything that we're talking about today is revolving around uh, a lot of the Old Testament, especially the book of Kings. Or I should say the books of first and second Kings. Now I bring this up not necessarily just to connect to a lot of the topics that we've heard the prophets talking about today, but to uh, connect it to what some other pastors and idiots are talking about. Now, the article that I'm hopping into here is from Religion News Service, and it's their article entitled Some Southern Baptist Pastors Are Calling Kamala Harris Jezebel and what do they mean this is back from January the 29th by uh, Yonat um Cimarron and Emily uh McFarland Miller and i'm going to quote from some of this because i think i think this is this is something that we need to really get back into especially when i don't want to let pastors get away with with bad theology in doing this and especially name calling based upon bad theology and and it came from this it came from this so there was there was Tom Buck who was a pastor of First Baptist Church in Lindale Texas um, well, where he equated Kamala Harris to the biblical character of Jezebel. He said this in a tweet. I can't imagine any truly God-fearing Israelite who would have wanted their daughters to view Jezebel as an inspirational role model because she was a woman in power. So they're, they're laying this out, which in so many ways, this is misogynistic. It's also incredibly racist um, because so many young girls were very inspired by seeing a, a, a black woman and a woman of, of Asian descent rising through the glass ceiling of becoming the first female vice president. And then you hear these pastors that are calling out this wonderful moment and really trying to drag it down, back down into the, into the realm of something kind of gross and disgusting because that's what they traffic in. And that's what they tend to use the Bible for. Uh, which is really sad that we use the Bible to tell us who we should hate and not tell us who we should love. Because you can use the Bible if you want to get rid of a lot of it, and it will tell you about who to hate. But if you really try to read through and boil down the Bible, it's more about who you're supposed to love. But depending upon how you read it, depending upon how you hold it, you can make it say either. Just as Pastor Buck continued as he doubled down on his earlier statements. He said, I 100% stand by it. Should Jezebel, who governed the godless ways, have been a role model simply because she was a woman in power? If not, why should Kamala, who's governing godless ways, be a role model just because she's a woman in power? And, And we're hearing this stuff, which again, which again, one, 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 my big question is, what does this have to do with church on Sunday? Edifying the body of Christ in your church? Nothing. Oh, that does play. That makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and give you a clip of this because it's one thing to hear me say it; it's another thing to hear hate out of someone else's mouth. This is Pastor Steve Swafford from Rockwall First Baptist Church in Texas.
3: Now we're going to have a newly elected, cognitively dysfunctional president, and what if something happens to him? and Jezebel has to take over. Jezebel Harris, isn't that her name?
0: So, yes, yes, yes. We have biblical name calling as a a official backup to old hateful pastors. And why does this even matter? Why am I even bringing this up? Well, the article that I was I'm mentioning here continues just to tell us this. And this is one of the things that we need to be able to I want us to be able to read scripture and demystify this stuff from scripture. Because too often have we used these archetypes and, and, and from scripture to be able to to call people out where I really believe these are it's 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 not it's not a good reading of scripture and it's just inaccurate. And it ends up just being stupid, stupid religious name-calling. But one of the reasons they use Jezebel here is this is that Jezebel appears in the Hebrew Bible as evil incarnate, a non believer who has become a catchword for the female cunning. Um, they continue on here saying that the United States Jezebel has become a racist stereotrope for the sexually promiscuous black woman a description that began in slavery extended through Jim Crow period and continues today and now I'll mention this the uh, the bigoted a-hole I mentioned before Southern Baptist and Southern Baptists love being com- compared to charismatic leaders but they're really doing this in the exact same way. The article also mentions that charismatic leaders often talk about a Jezebel spirit, which they believe to be the evil influence of the biblical queen in the world today. So, okay, we've heard people in the past refer to Hillary as being a Jezebel. There, there has been all this Jezebel name calling. So again, hey, thanks, Lance, for bringing up the divided kingdoms of Israel. So what we end up having is this. The kingdom of Israel, just a little bit of Sunday school lesson, are divided. And we end up having King Ahab. King Ahab, in a political marriage, uh, ends up marrying Jezebel. Jezebel uh, comes on the scene. And she, who has not been around uh, the culture and the teachings of the Israelites, brings her own culture and teachings into this, right? So she brings in this idea of the prophets of Baal. So what really happens is a big rumble in scripture between Elijah, who's a prophet, who's standing for what God says, against all these prophets of Baal. So you end up having, first of all, King Ahab, which, hey, I don't know how he gets an easy pass. Oftentimes in conservative Christianity, oh, that's right, because we like to blame women. Yep, that kind of works. Did we pen all of the original sin on Eve? Yep. Is original Steve what the, is original Steve, is original, is original evil um, the story of what Adam and Eve is about? No, not even about the fall of man. Not about that at all. But we like to read it wrong because, hey, we like blaming people and we like blaming women in Christianity. mm mm-hmm. So Jezebel, it's all her fault. She's the bad woman that did bad things. And Ahab was just, oh, he was just a man. Couldn't keep it in his pants. But, you know, women, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. That was a long diatribe to connect stuff. And I'm going to continue to connect stuff a bit uh, with Elijah in this conversation that we're ultimately getting to about charity. Now, I talk about all the stuff we did up until this point. I talk about all that. Mainly because what I'm wanting to do is reframing us into being people that we approach Christianity, we approach the Bible, we approach the teachings of Jesus with clear eyes, eyes that are not biased or eyes that are not trying to make Scripture say something Scripture isn't wanting to say. And what I would say from all of this that we've been talking about, that, hey, that's not how it works. These are all ministries that should not exist. These are ministries that we're listening to from all of these crazy prophets and people that operate out of, out of uh, coercion, that operate out of false teaching, that operate out of a lot of this. And most of these people that I've also mentioned today, hey, they're doing quite well because they're making money off you stupid saps out there that keep sending them money for the glory of God. Now, I know when we approach ideas like charity. And what Christian charities to go through? Because again, I was originally asked, "How do we evaluate charities? How do we get to this point of figuring out how we do donations and tithes and stuff within Christian scripture, within the Christian lifestyle?" Great, great question, fantastic question. So, um, first, 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 I'm going to say, evaluate, evaluate the ministry, evaluate the fruit of what is happening within this ministry. What is their goal? What's their mission? What are their values? What do they spend their time doing? Who makes the majority of the money? So yes, all these kinds of questions are good to be able to bring into this. Now, why should I be talking about this? Well, I do have a microphone, but I've spent over 20 years in Christian ministry. And I've worked with churches and nonprofits. I have been a missionary that has had to, for eight or nine years, raise all of my own support. Now, what does that mean? That means I had to raise all of my own salary through donors and donations i also had to raise all of the program funds for the organization that i was running so yes i have done that i have been on both sides of this of of being working for churches also raising money for churches so here's what we're going to here's where we're going to start even though we've already started but here's where we're going to continue on going is this um and i'll also have to lay a little bit of groundwork for this but oftentimes especially most of our our tastes of church come from the Sunday morning institutional church. And what we, most of us have, a lot of us have been taught is that the Old Testament tells us that we're supposed to be able to give 10%. I've been a part of churches that would spend an entire month of the year talking about giving and tithing. They also spend a month of the year on Christmas and Easter. If you want to kind of figure out oftentimes what, what a church values, a church is going to value what they spend their time and their money on. And this this and many other churches that I've been around spend a month a year talking about giving. Why? Because they want your money. And they'll use scriptures like from the Old Testament talking about how we're supposed to give our first fruits, how we're supposed to give 10% of our income, how we're supposed to give, 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 really meaning that the reason that oftentimes you're going to hear people and church talk about tithing, they're going to dip to the Old Testament because the Old Testament gives a number. It gives a number that they can get people to start dealing with. More of the New Testament, kind of Jesus reality of things, Jesus would say, give as you are supposed to give. If, you, if there are those that are poor, sell what you have and give it to the poor. That doesn't sell as well. That's not a number. And too often in Christianity, have we said, I don't want people to think on their own. I want to give people a number because we at least need that. We don't want to teach people how to do or what to do with their money. We're going to teach, tell people how to give their money. We don't want people to think about how they should use their money. We want to tell people where to give their money, i.e. us, which is manipulative and I would also say wrong. It's underhanded and it doesn't make sense. The original question, the original, 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 original question that we're kind of dancing around here is, hey, how do we evaluate, how do we evaluate what kinds of ministries that we give to if we want to tithe? Because for many reasons, why would we tithe? Well, uh, we tithe because God asked for us to give some of what we have to others. Uh, One reason we would do that is not for a 10% kind of an ideal or reason behind it. No, it's because... It's a posture, it's a posture of selfless, selflessness. Christianity, like if you you view Christianity without the posture of selflessness, you have gone wrong. If people preach the gospel without selflessness, they're not preaching the gospel. It's just kind of how that works. That's how it goes, right? Selflessness, not your best life now, not if you give, God's gonna give to you. No, 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 no selflessness you give to others because they need it you give because you are not a selfish bastard that's the really that's i mean all of the teachings of jesus is trying to teach you how to not be an a-hole how to not be a selfish bastard and and how to be a decent neighbor and human being to the world around you that's really it it's that simple really really we've made it all about where we go when we die all this other stuff well when we make it about where we go when we die that means we can just be terrific a-holes now no what we do now matters. Who we are now matters. It always, always matters. So, sorry, sorry, sorry. With charities. Now, um, the landscape of charities in America has changed. Over the last hundred years or so, we've seen um, the churches doing less charitable work and the state taking up a lot of that. We especially saw this, like, around the 1950s and 60s where you began to see, like, Catholic... Um, Catholic orphanages go away or, or the feeding of the poors and the widows from churches go away because you begin to see government programs taking up that slack. Now, churches continue to ask for the same amount of money they used to. They didn't really change their budgets, but they did far less work in their communities. That's just kind of, that's a very broad strokes of what has happened here. So, um, one, if you are going to give the money that you have worked hard to earn, I would tell you to be just as careful with your money as you would with using it towards an investment. You're probably very careful with what, money, what portion of your money you invest with. I would say be very careful and, and, and responsible with how you invest whatever money you're going to donate to charities. Now, do not, let, do not let organizations pull the screws on you and and try to use some sort of emotional manipulation or religious manipulation to get you to give. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, scripturally backed, this is between you and God. This isn't between you and your pastor. This isn't between you and your church. This isn't about people like trying to coerce you or to force you into giving money. No, we're supposed to give with a cheerful heart. We're supposed to want to give. This isn't something out of compulsion. This isn't something out of guilt. So first of all, if someone is using guilt and compulsion to get you to give, they're doing it wrong, and I would get—I would just get out. I would get out. If you're—if you're, if you're feeling—if you're feeling pressed to give in that kind of a manner, that I would already say, <laughs> this is already not the, the organization for you to give to. When I was when I was doing some research into getting stats together, I loved this one. And when I say I love this one, it means I did not at all love it. I just think it's hilarious. And this 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 is a section I was looking over at CDF Capital, and it's uh what is this? It is Church Development Fund. So it's helping churches make money or getting money out of their people. Um, but they they had this section here, which uh about giving, and I just I, I love this, and it's just so inane. And this came from their. Again, they're quoting from Relevant Magazine, which is also named, but if Christians tithed, there would be an additional 1.65 billion available. That's right. If we had all Christians tithing up until their allotted tithe amount, the one that God established, we'd have so much more money. Okay, again, not helpful CDF capital. You're just throwing around numbers and trying to get churches to drool over people. A drool over those numbers. Okay, why do we give? We give because we want to make a difference. We give because God has blessed us. We give because we do this out of an abundance of, of love and, and charity in our hearts. We don't give because look how much we can do. No, like you shouldn't start a capital campaign at a church by saying, How much can we get? No, every capital campaign should begin with, What do we actually need? But rarely do they begin with that. So, for 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 posterity's sake, let's just read a simple working definition of what charity is supposed to be. It's from the Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, two different definitions, and th- they'll work with us here. So, charity is is one an organization set up to provide help and raise money for those in need. Simple. Number two, uh, charity is. Uh, the voluntarily giving of help, typically in the form of money to those in need. So again, what are we getting at? Help, those in need, voluntary. Gotcha. Okay, so we're helping those in need. So when you begin to evaluate where you're going to give, you first want to be able to look at, who are those in need? Why am I giving to this organization? What is this organization actually doing? I'm going to give one that I would love to rip on and burn right now. That may make some people uncomfortable. Samaritan's Purse. Franklin Graham is no friend of this show. uh, And I have no problem in calling out Samaritan's Purse, uh, the Operation Christmas Child Christmas Box, where we do evangelism, the cheapest form of evangelism, by giving kids presents for Christmas, which for many areas of the world do not even know what Christmas is. Now, giving supplies to those in need, great. Are we giving them supplies because we want them to be able to convert to Jesus? Yes. Is this exactly what these little children need? Is this exactly what you best could invest however much you're spending? Maybe 50 bucks in that box. Is this the best way you could spend 50 bucks? My answer, no, it's not. No, it's not. Now, this is one of those weird things that what charities do, they make churches feel good. They make people feel great about what they're doing. Look at me, I saved someone for Christmas. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You just fit into Franklin Graham's marketing techniques. Mm-hmm. Also, Samaritan's Purse, you remember when COVID first came, we well, had a breakout in New York? They set up tents to be able to help people to be able to bring medical professionals in there. Yeah, but they also made sure none of the medical professionals were gay. Were part of the LGBTQ community. If you were a medical Professional that would not sign Samaritans' purses. You would not sign their, their their statement of beliefs. You could not work during a pandemic to help people. Yeah. So you really got to start looking into the theology of your organizations uh, that you give to. Another one. Another one. I I had heard this. I had heard this this uh, a while back. Was that you should never give. And I think this number is even high. Never give to an organization that has administrative costs over 15%. I had heard around 12. But when I was looking things up, around 15%. So yes, should you be looking at the financial uh, disclosure documents of the organizations that you're giving to? Yes, you should. If the organization that you're giving to does not let you look at their financial records uh, and does not have a financial report they give out every year, you shouldn't give there. You shouldn't give there at all. Because they're not being transparent about what they're doing with their money. Why does that 15% towards administration fees matter? Well, it's this. Is that ultimately, you want about 75% of an organization's, of an organization's money. If it's, if it's going to be a good nonprofit or a charity, and churches don't really even fit this metric, but they should. That's a whole other story. You should have about 75% of the funds going directly towards the programs that you're trying to do in an organization that you're giving charity funds to. Uh, If you're wanting to feed the poor, you want at least 75% of that money that you are giving of every dollar you're giving to go towards the poor. Are you wanting it to pay for secretaries or buildings or all of that other stuff? No, you don't. You want 75%, if not more, to go directly to the cause that you are giving. And then I would look even deeper. What is it actually giving it? Like if you're sponsoring a kid through like Compassion International, what does that money give to this kid? Are we simply just proselytizing them? Or are we actually making sure that they are staying healthy? I've worked for enough organizations and Christian organizations that, that have lost the plot. I've, I've told this on past shows where I worked for an evangelistic organization that, that even when I was on the leadership board of it, it was all about like, like winning souls. And we worked with poor kids. And my question was constantly back to them. What, are, what, what is the kingdom of God and what are we inviting them into? Well, we're saving them. Saving them from what? Well, from hell. Yeah, but, but their hell is now. Like how, how, is, how are we spending so much time and effort and energy into, into like preaching the gospel at them, but we're not actually seeming to care about their well-being. And we're not really caring about can they eat? Are they making it at school? Are they being abused at home? No, if we're not, if we're not looking for the well-being of all people and that, it, evangelism is hollow. It's empty. It's nothingness. So I think you have to be, and, so I, and you have to be very discerning about what is this organization going to do? Is, is, is their approach even logical? You know, if you are going to have people that are going to preach the gospel into, let's say, like an area in Africa that is overrun by, by AIDS. I know this is a very stereotypical one, but just run with me here. Or Ebola, it doesn't matter. So if your main goal is proselytizing and your main goal is not health or the well-being of the person, you're being very disingenuous. You're not following the the parable of, <laughs> of the Good Samaritan. What does the Good Samaritan do? He found someone on the side of the road that's been beaten and broken and robbed. He says, son, uh, what do you believe? Uh, if you believe in Jesus, then I'll help you. No, that's not how it works. That's not how Jesus works. That's not how it works. No, I, I even did. I, this is years ago. We did mission trips down to Skid Row in Los Angeles. And I remember even having issues with this like 15 years ago where where most of the organizations that were down there for the homeless, they'll feed the homeless, but the homeless have to be here at a certain time. They have to go in the building, the doors lock behind them. They have to listen to a message about Jesus, and then they are fed. That is not the good news. That 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 is coercion. That is switch and bait mentality. That's not the good news of Jesus. And so too often, I think that we see these, the charities target symptoms, not the causes. They're they're doing something that that in what we've imagined is is good for the great beyond and for all of Christianity and and the kingdom of God. But what what worth does the kingdom of God have if it can't feed a man to survive the day? So yes, yes, yes. Scrutinize where you are giving your money to, and I'll also have you note: I'm not asking you for money for the show either. <laughs> this is free because I love you. But seriously, judge who are the mouthpieces that you're listening to? Who's funding them? Where are you putting your money? Is this genuous Is this disingenuous? I mean, it's easily summarized by by author Emma Green, who writes for the Atlantic, when she had said this. She said. What's translated as charity in the Bible is agape, which literally means love. We do have a responsibility to help the poor and those in need. And that means taking care of them yourself, giving money yourself, your time, your efforts, not someone else's. So let's hammer home on some of the brass tacks things we would need to really just understand about if you're evaluating them for very, very beyond beyond ideological means. So Christian charities and ministries. So uh, questions to ask yourself: what percentage of their budgets do the ministries spend on the core ministry programs? How transparent are they when sharing their financial information? And how do charity watchdog agencies rate these various ministries? And there are many different ones out there. Uh, there's Ministry Watch, uh, there's Charity Navigator, there's Charity Watch, and there's the Better Business Bureau's Wise Giving Alliance. Look up, do your research, check into them. Better Business Bureau, (laughs) is your friends also to see if there's complaints against this organization. Yeah, yeah. So certainly, should you be looking? Should you be digging into where your money's going? Absolutely, 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 absolutely. And all I've been throwing this to you, a little nugget here that's gonna probably piss off some churches. I would also have serious, serious, serious issues with the church that has over 45% of their budgets in staff compensation. Church budgets are a whole different story that I have lots of opinions about, but yeah, I would also just say, keep track of your church. Make sure your church is also telling you how much they're spending of God's money. So yes, any, any, any organization you're giving to, you want to make sure you know what's happening, where things are going, and... Is the money going to the mission and vision and values of the organization? And do you even still agree with those? So, yeah, yeah. So what I'm going to do with the time we have left here, and if you are a podcast listener, just realize I may go a little long here. And if you're a radio listener saying, hey, I want to hear the whole show, www.snarkyfaith.com or wherever you find podcasts. But here's the short answer of how I want to end the show. And this is a quote from M.D. Uh, Chenu, talking about Francis of Assisi that we were talking back before. And I think this hits at the heart of a lot of what we're talking about here. Um, he said this, he said, Francis of Assisi came before Pope Innocent III to plead, I do not come here with a new rule. My only rule is the gospel. Thus did the gospel confirm its, its inalienable vitality and relevance in galvanizing both human understanding and even ecclesiastical foundations. It is the common inspiration of all Christians of all times and all milieu, but it is, but its abrupt recrudescence periodically provokes a spiritual and institutional crisis, against which it is clearly preferable to measure the, the pace and standards of the life of the church. So, aces. His insistence, his insistence that the gospel was central to everything, I feel like also illuminates what we're talking about today. Charities, are they doing what they say they're supposed to do? If they're a Christian church or Christian charity, are they carrying out the work of Jesus? Are they being the hands and feet of Jesus to those that are in need in the communities in which they serve? Does the church serve itself or does it serve the community in which they, it finds itself? Those are the wrestlings that we need to wrestle through here. In this, in this, in this. And it is incredibly important that we are able to ground ourselves in that. That we are able to ground ourselves in what matters, what we're supposed to do, and who we're supposed to help. It's just that simple but somehow we like to screw it up and make it all complicated. So that's all I've got this week. And before I send you off, just a reminder to subscribe and give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts. Helps us give the word out to new listeners. If you want to reach me directly, hit me up at questions at snarkyfaith.com. Thank you for being a part of the show week after week. I appreciate you all. And now I release you into the wild, wide world. I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. I'm out of here. All right. For those who are still here and hanging around, uh, you got the basic ideas of where I was going for on the show. What I wanted to throw in was a little bit of unfinished business, especially in the story of Jezebel and Elijah that we seem to be hopping around um, one way or another through the show. And it was actually something that I don't have an answer from for, but I actually want to ponder it and kind of wrestle through this with you guys out there, too. Um, and this comes from. Okay, so what's happening? Uh, where are we at? Well, this is First Kings seventeen. So we've had this thing where we have. Remember, we were talking about Jezebel and Ahab, and there's been a huge rumble. And and Ahab, uh, sorry, and Elijah goes and he throws down. He throws down a. I guess you can call this a threat, a prophet threat. Um, from the Lord It starts in, in, in 1 Kings 7, uh, 17 like this It says, now Elijah the Tishbite Is from Tishbe in Gilead It says to Ahab As the Lord, the God of Israel lives Whom I serve There will be neither dew nor rain For the next few years Except my word Okay, so again, there's a lot to unpack in that statement But Elijah's challenging the king and the queen Saying, hey You don't listen to God you don't listen to God. There's not going to be any rain. Not even a drop of dew. So again, pretty friggin' dry. Uh, so to continue, so That's that's verse one. That's verse one. We continue this. And this is a really interesting story that that, that I, I just I don't know. I, I'm just curious. I'm curious about how you process this. And it's it's something that, that my wife and I have been talking about with this too. And this is this is why I think scripture gets really interesting, uh, especially when we don't have to read it through the lens of whatever a pastor told us it means. I think that, that when, I, when I talk about being able to wrestle through things and, and wrestle through your, your perspective and, and how you contemplate Scripture, I think it's important for us to talk about these hard things that we deal with in Scripture. Okay, so Elijah threatens the king, which goes over as well as you think it would. So, uh, so then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide at the Careth Ravine. Uh, east of the jordan you will drink from the brook and i have directed the ravens to supply you with food there so again this is god's easy answer for elijah you're doing my work elijah i'll totally provide for you because i'll let you hang out by a river or a brook sorry you have a creek to drink out of yum and ravens to feed you ravens are scavengers so only the choicest jerky from the land yes but Elijah uh, verse 5 so he did what the Lord had told him and he went to the Careth ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook so first of all question we all know that ravens can't cook here <laughs> so these these ravens are stealing from people can you imagine the guys in the town where do my buns keep going I keep making bread ravens keep stealing it not my point but it's just an interesting part of scripture <laughs> so again we have we have Elijah getting fed by the Lord so then it, this I love this sometime later because we also realize what did he say early on at the beginning that there will be neither dew nor rain for the next couple years in this area well sometime later womp 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 the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land now, I'm always curious about this because we have verse seven, the brook dried up. Verse eight, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, now go at once, da-da-da-da-da. Okay, no, I'm not going to get to verse eight because I think a lot of times we're in these weird perspectives and these weird places where we are literally, literally at this place where maybe God has asked us to do something and then we're at a place where it dries up. What do you do? How do you make meaning behind this? God told me to do something. I felt like I was following God and now it's all dried up. Huh? Was I wrong? What do I do? I don't have answers for you. I'm just asking you to ponder through that. What happens in those times where where God goes quiet? Where you feel like you've done everything and where's God? I've been there. I've been there more than once. I've been in those places where you've gone to the place and done the thing and you're kind of hanging out and the, the brook dries up and you're not sure what to do next. But I think that, I think that weird space, I did what God asked me to do and I waited and then things didn't completely go the way I wanted them to. I feel like that's, that's, that's an interesting, weird part of, of, of the journey with God of the, of this whole Christian walk is that we don't always know where it's going to go. We don't always know what's going to happen. We don't always know. Is the brook going to start flowing again? Are the Ravens going to start bringing big Macs? I don't know. Or is it going to dry up? And eventually God's going to say, Hey, you're hungry and thirsty enough. All right, enough of this. Now let's go. I mentioned this because embracing mystery is not easy. Understanding what God wants of us is not always easy. And hopefully, the best we can do, the best we can say is that we are hopefully all stumbling after the, the, the loving and compassionate and graceful ways of Jesus and trying to live that out within the people that are around us, in our community, around us in tangible ways. But there's going to be times where things don't make sense, where you feel like you did everything right and still things don't make sense. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay. And I think sometimes we'll find answers. I think sometimes we don't. And as much as I like to make fun of the, the prophets and all of the Christian people, and the Christian crazy that go nuts because all of their prophecies and all of their certainties didn't come to pass, I think it's great. Because Christianity isn't about certainty. I think I think it calls us back to this uncertainty, this mystery of God, this mystery of God that keeps us awake and looking, that keeps us off the cruise control, that keeps us awake and aware of where is God moving today? Where is God moving tomorrow? Because the worst thing that we can ever do in the Christian walk is for us to check out and for us to let others begin to run with our faith for us. We may assume that pastors will carry our faith for us because we tithe and go to their church. We may feel that we are good Christians because we give to organizations that are helping people. But that's not always the same as you helping people. There's one thing that I've learned for certain is that in my walk of faith, it's ultimately the weight of it is in my hands. And it is between me and God. And there's times where I get it and there's times where I don't but we want to keep trying to do the next good thing that we are called to do. Because sometimes mystery is all that we're left with. And it helps to be surrounded with other people that are wrestling through mystery together, trying to find meaning, trying to find a better way. And that's what we hope for with where we're at. All right, now I'm officially done. I'm officially done. (laughs) But thank you for hearing me for for this bonus portion of the show. Uh, And I will catch you guys again next week. I, I send you off. I send you off with peace. May you wrestle well. May you wrestle well, wrestle thoroughly. And may you wrestle with others. Because this whole journey and this whole thing of trying to figure stuff out is not meant to be alone. It's a group project. And a lot of us don't always love group projects. But that's the way it's supposed to be. Have a good week. See you guys again next week. Peace.